Fear is the most skillful of robbers because it's capable of depriving us of our money while it's still in our own bank account. Does it ever happen to you that when you know that you're not going to get much sleep one night, you're miserable the day before, anticipating how miserable you're going to be the next day? And then the next day comes and, yeah, it's not great, you're tired, but you slog through and it's all right. But the fear of being tired the next day was worse than actually being tired. Or let me ask you this, up to this point in your life, what's caused you more unhappiness? Being ridiculed or persecuted on account of your faith? Or the fear of being ridiculed and persecuted on account of your faith? Isn't it true that fear is often worse than the object of our fear? The fear itself. Fear poisons our joy, it makes us weak and timid and keeps us from fulfilling our mission in life. What's the cure? The cure for all these petty, crippling fears is the fear of God. Now follow me here. I know that we tend to think that the fear of God is something that belongs only in the Old Testament, that we've left it behind, or maybe we left it behind in the Middle Ages, but it's actually one of the great themes of Scripture. And we're not going to stay here. We're not going to stay in the fear of God, but we have to pass through the fear of God on our way to freedom. So this is the thesis, that the fear of God sets us free from our petty, small, irrational fears. We see this principle in Jesus' very blunt statement to his disciples. He said, do not fear those who can kill the body and then do nothing more. I will tell you who to fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, can cast both body and soul into hell. It's a harsh statement, but the, the point is this tonight, that the one who lives with a vivid sense of the holiness and omnipotence of God is set free from lesser fears. They wither up and they pass away. When you begin to live under the gaze of God, then the fear of death, or the fear of going hungry, or the fear of failure, or the fear of what others are going to say about you, lose their power. And we see this in the life of the saints. You know, they acted with extreme boldness and apparent disregard for their safety or their reputation because they lived in the sight of God. Their fear of God cured them of their lesser fears. But now you might object, okay, if these are my two options, the fear of failure or of tiredness or of death, and this absolute fear of God, I might actually prefer to stay with these petty fears. A first century Roman historian, Plutarch, made precisely that critique of religion. He called the fear of God superstition, and he lumped together several religions which he saw throughout the Roman Empire at that time. Christianity was one of them, and he called them all superstitions, and this was his critique of them. He says, of all kinds of fear, superstition is the most fatal to action and resource. He does not fear the sea who does not sail nor war who does not serve, nor robbers who keeps at home. 
But he who fears the gods fears everything. Earth, seas, air, sky, darkness, light, noises, silence, sleep. So he says, okay, we all have to deal with, deal with fear in our lives. Sailors fear the sea. Soldiers fear dying in battle. But Christians, they're the worst of all. Even when they're not in danger, they're, they're, they're fearing because they fear God. He continues, he says, slaves sleep and forget their masters. Superstition alone has come to no terms with sleep. But in the very sleep of her victims, as though they were in the realms of the impious, she raises horrible specters and whirls the miserable soul about and persecutes it. Moreover, while death is to all men an end of life, it is not so to the superstitious. For then there are deep gates of hell to yawn and chasms and dens full of innumerable miseries. The atheist, and here he's praising the atheist, the atheist wipes his tears, trims his hair, doffs his mourning. But how can you help the superstitious? How can you help the Christian, the one who fears God? Well, we have to admit, if the fear of God were nothing more than a, this kind of slavish fear of punishment, this kind of superstition, as Plutarch paints it, we would be better off with our petty fears than the fear of God. But there's something about Christian fear that Plutarch doesn't see, that he doesn't understand. And that is that it's always infused with love. A love that gives birth to trust. And we see this in Peter's reaction to the miraculous catch. All of a sudden he realizes that the man in the boat with him is holy. And in light of his holiness, he recognizes his own sinfulness. And he cries out, go away from me, Lord, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. But in the very same moment, he throws himself at the knees of Jesus. That is to say, there are these two contrary movements in his soul that, that take place at the same time. On the one hand, he says, depart from me. On the other hand, he goes to Jesus. And, and this is a perfect image of Christian fear. Peter perceives that it's a fearful thing to be in the presence of a holy God. And yet, he knows that he has nowhere else to go. He recognizes the one whom I fear is my only hope. Right here, we're at the decisive turn of each one of our lives. What do we do with the perception of God's holiness and our sinfulness. We know we can't run from him, so we have two options. Either we turn to him with humble hope, trusting in his mercy, or we hide from ourselves. We know we can't hide from him, but we can hide from ourselves. And we have a thousand ways to do it, by drinking or working ourselves to death, or playing music so loud that we can't hear ourselves think, or adopting some philosophy that explains away our sin. We cover our eyes and pretend that if we can't see God, He can't see us. Or maybe we don't go so far. Maybe you don't go so far, but you try to keep a safe distance from God. That's what the Israelites did when they encountered God on Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain and the mountain trembled and smoked and there were 
peals of thunder and flashes of lightning, and the people of Israel were terrified. And they stepped back and they cried out to Moses, don't let God speak to us. Don't let God speak to us. You listen to him and then you relay the message to us and we'll speak to you and you talk to God. But don't let him speak to us directly or, or we'll die. And that seemed to them the best arrangement that they could manage to coexist with a holy God, to establish a kind of buffer between them and God, a safe zone. But precisely because they kept their distance, they never had anything more than a servile fear of God. Only Moses, who went up the mountain, who entered the smoke, encountered the infinite tenderness and mercy of God. And Peter, who says, go away from me, Lord, but then throws himself at the knees of Jesus, hears Jesus say to him, do not be afraid. So only when we throw ourselves at the God whom we fear, will we be able to overcome our fear. Will we be set free from fear by him? So what can we do to break free of our slavery to fear? The first step is to fear the Lord. Acknowledge his holiness and power. You know, many saints made the, made the resolution rather to die than to commit a single mortal sin. Rather to die than to commit a mortal sin. Why? Because they feared being separated from God more than they feared the death of their mortal body. And rightly so, because God is the author of life. He was the life of their souls. They feared more to offend Him than to lose their own lives. And so we should make the same resolution. Rather to die than to commit a mortal sin. And when we do, we'll find that all our smaller fears lose their power. The second step is to go to him. The only way to discover that the one whom you fear as your judge is truly your father is to go to him. He's the only one that can tell you, do not be afraid. You won't believe it from anyone else. But if the Lord tells you, do not be afraid, and you hear that in the depths of your heart, you will believe it, and it will set you free. You know, there's a privileged place where you can hear it from his very lips. And that's in the sacrament of confession. That's where all this happens. We recognize that we're sinners. We give up hiding from ourselves. We expose ourselves humbly before the one who always sees us. And we encounter his mercy. There in the sacrament of confession is where our fear is transformed into love. You know, we can't afford to be crippled by fear any longer because we have a mission to fulfill. We heard in the first reading that after the Lord set Isaiah free from his fear, he said to him, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And after telling Peter not to be afraid, the Lord told him, from now on, you will be catching men. And Peter left behind everything and followed after him.